Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, over the next several weeks, we are, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Christ Revealed. And over the next several weeks, we're going to swim a little bit in the deep end of the pool. Anybody ever remember when your parents tried to get you to swim in the deep end? Some of us, our parents just threw us in. Okay, uh, We're going to do a little bit of that today, but I, I want to prepare you uh, just a little bit. But uh, that video you just saw was a picture of the tabernacle uh, from the Old Testament. And over the next several weeks, we're going to kind of look into some of these things and discover why it really matters. You know, the Bible is one cohesive story of redemption. Uh, it's not, oh, I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't have to read that other part that doesn't make any sense and all those begots and all those things. It's all in there for you. And it's all in there to tell you and I a story uh, to help us and to understand who Jesus Christ is, but also to give some validity and some confidence that you really can know you can be saved today. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. Because how can you really be certain God has forgiven you? Because I told you so? Because your Sunday school teacher told you so? Because it sounds like a good idea? Uh, How do you know for certain that God has forgiven you of all of your sins? How do you know? that what Jesus did on the cross actually provided forgiveness. Just because some pastor said that, just because some story said that, just because that's what you were told, what guarantee do you have that you'll make heaven? How do you really uh, get to draw near to God? How can you dwell in the presence of God today? And why is that possible? And why did Jesus have to be both God and man? Why couldn't he just come down and said, here's how we're going to do it and just make it over? Why did he need to be a man? Why did he need to be God? All of these things are found in the Old Testament coming alive to us. And a lot of this is in the book of Hebrews, part of the New Testament. A lot of these books, we, we as Christians in a new context, and uh, a new modern society, we just, well, I don't mean anything. We just skim over that part, get to the good part about I get to have more money if I give to Jesus. Or, you know, we, get to, we like the parts that fit us. But all of this is in here for you to have a confident hope of your salvation. How many people want access to God's presence today? Amen. Some of us. Good. That's why you're here. We're working on all of you. No, that's that's good. We want a hope that never fades. I want my prayers to be accepted by God. I want my prayers to reach heaven. Amen. Amen. I want my, my faith to do something in my life. I want to achieve eternal life. I want to have my sins blotted away. I want to not go back to the old man that I used to be and fall into the temptations and strife and complicated life this world has to offer. I want to live in the peace and the love and the joy of God every day of my life and for eternity. How many people say amen? amen. And all this is found in discovering who Jesus really is. And that's what we're going to be on a journey the next several weeks, and I hope you'll join us. For that. But there's a problem today. It's called sin. And there's another problem for you and I. It's called the law. And that problem, we see that through Moses, God gives the law. The Old Testament covenant, the covenant of Moses, found on the Ten Commandments and everything that followed after it. It showed the standard of God's holiness, and it showed the state of your helplessness. So the standard of God's holiness and the state of our helplessness. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, says this, New Living Translation, For 
No one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. The problem today, we don't want to read the law. We don't want to understand the Old Testament and see how far from God we would have to work to try to be. And even if we did it all, we still couldn't attain it. How many people want to sacrifice a dove every week? Not very many people. Uh, you got to go dove hunting every Saturday and, you know, you got to do this incense every day, wear certain clothes, do this, all these things to show us how far we are from the holiness of God and why uh, we, you know, I, I think about society when today they say, well, you know, that doesn't sound wrong to me. That doesn't sound right to me. Doesn't matter what we think. There is a holy law that says this is how holy God is and this is how sinful we are, whether we like it or not. And that's a problem for us today. That we, he, God was showing us that in the futility of all of our efforts, you can never do anything right. We are in a state of hopeless rebellion against God, and no man can achieve, can achieve the law, and no person can come to God on their own. You, without uh, what we're about to talk about today, in your natural state, you can't pray to God and get an answered prayer. You can't come to God and get forgiveness. You can't find any goodness in your life. No joy, no peace, no perfect love can be given to you without what, what we're about to discuss today. In our natural state, we are helpless and we are hopeless. You must know that and we must remember that. So, But here's the cool part. God and His Infinite wisdom demanded that blood sacrifice would be having to give for sin. And you saw some of the instruments on there. So this blood sacrifice thing, I don't get it. What's, what is the deal here? Sacrifice of this perfect and innocent animal. That blood was the life, the symbol of life. And that life would have been poured out. Okay, follow me. This life would have been poured out in a holy way, in a holy place, by a holy uh, man and through a holy instrument and by a holy vessel, that, that animal. And it would be poured out, and it would offer as a substitute for the penalty of sin. Sin meant death. The penalty of sin is death. And that animal's blood would be symbolically poured out, and it would appease the wrath of God, but only for a temporary while. It would fade away because it really wasn't the true life represented, your life. It wasn't your blood being poured out, so that animal's blood only temporarily, just for one year. Would it atone for the, that animal for the whole nation of just Israel? But every day, every week, every day, there had to be sacrifices covering for this day and this hour. There had to be a sacrifice covering for the whole week. Then there was a sacrifice covering for the whole month. Then there was a sacrifice covering for the whole year. And it was continual and continual and repetitive and repetitive. And it never did last. And it never changed the heart of man. We continued sinning. Just think how many sheep we'd need. For all the sin you've ever done in your entire life. All the blood that would have to be spilled. Day for, you had to cover your, your life had to be covered for the blood every day, every week, and every month, and every year. Your whole life had to be covered in blood for you to not meet the wrath of God. That is the truth of the word. And so God in his wisdom, he elects some men called the priests. And what he does is in his infinite wisdom, he knows and sees something in advance, what he's going to do. And he elects this guy named Aaron. And from his line, he calls them uh, the Levites. And from the tribe of Levi, this people of Israel, he calls them to be holy and set apart. That means consecrated. He calls them out from the rest of the people, says, you must be holy. While you're men and while you're imperfect, there's certain things in your life you must do to be my priests. Because the nation of Israel has 
fell from me. They don't want to be my priesthood of people. They don't want to be a people as a whole. They all can't live up to that standard that I've set before them, but I'm electing you because there's something about you. And so God elects these priests, and they begin to minister to the Lord. And they, uh, they had to be holy, and they were ritualistic, cleansed, and they were clothed, and they consecrated. And they, uh, even the law says, get this, they had to show compassion for sinners, though, because they had to intercede for them. So here you have, let me just give you this picture. Here you have this priesthood, and at the top of it you have this high priest. And these guys are human, they're fallible, but they're interceding for a people. And they have to keep this people clothed in blood. They have to keep blood covering them. And so what happens is, uh, they have to, God is saying, you must always remember to be sympathetic. Don't think of yourselves higher than you should. You must always uh, find empathy for the people you're serving, because remember, don't think anything higher about yourself, because you're sinful too. So they would make sacrifice for themselves, and they would make sacrifice for the people. And if you can picture this at the tabernacle, this place of dwelling that God set in the uh, Old Testament with Moses in the wilderness, this high priest or these priests would come every day, and once a year they'd come on this day called the Day of Atonement, the day that they would atone for the whole year. So every day they atone for the day, every week they atone for the week, every month they atone for the month, and every year they atone for the year. That was the Day of Atonement. That priest would walk in, he would pass through the only way, remember those, there was only one way to get into the presence of God, and he would pass in through the only way, the first curtain, and he'd go into the courtyard. And in that courtyard, he would uh, find a, uh, there would be this brazen bronze altar, and he would make a sacrifice for his own sins. And they would make another sacrifice for the people, but he would make a sacrifice for his own sins, and he would take the, that, that sacrifice, and he would move on to the next step, and he would wash himself in the bronze laver with a wash basin. And he would wash himself to symbolize the Holy Spirit and being set apart for the service of God. And then past that, he would take a, a coal from that altar that burned up that goat, that lamb, that brazen altar, he'd take a coal and he'd put it in a censer. If, if you go to Catholic Mass, you see those guys doing, you know, waving those things, walking down the aisle with smoke coming out of it on a chain. Okay? He'd take this little censer, something similar to that, and they would have incense there, and that coal would be burning. And he would pass through into the place called the holy place. Now just think, behind these is the presence of God. You know how awe-inspiring it would just be? And this is the only guy in all of Israel who could ever, these priests are the only people who have ever experienced the presence of God. And they walk through that curtain, just the fear of God, the holiness, the reverence. They walk through that curtain, and on the one side would be this candle, this big candlestick, uh, the golden lampstand, this menorah. And they would keep that wick burning, and they would keep that oil uh, burning and that fire lit. And on the other side would be a, a table with bread on it, 12, uh, 12 cakes of bread symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel, and new wine every day. Fresh bread and new wine put on that table every day. You can get some of these words, though, you've been in church for a little while, the symbolism. And they would keep that stocked. And then he would go up to a thing. This is what's important for you and I today. He would go up to this thing called the altar of incense. And if you can imagine that our uh, 30-foot stage here, there'd be a 30-foot curtain across the entire stage, and behind it would be the Ark of the Covenant, and the presence of God without filter would be there. And he would come up with this incense, and he'd go up to this little uh, altar of incense, and he would put that incense on that burning coal, and smoke would fill the room. And that would be symbolic of all of our prayers that, please God, forgive me. 
Please, God, forgive me. Please, God, we need you to forgive us because in faith we're believing that the blood that we just shed outside is going to reach you and you're going to hear from heaven. You're not going to wipe us out today. You're going to let the wrath of God pass over us just one more month, one more day, one more week. God, please don't kill us. We need to be forgiven. And that smoke and that incense would be a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Think about the Scripture if you've been in church for a while. And it would filter over the curtain and go into the holy place. And God would take it in and he would, his presence then would, uh, would pass over. And only once a year, that would happen every day continually without ceasing. They would continue to offer those prayers every day at certain times before the presence of God. Those priests would be praying without ceasing, interceding for the whole nation. God, please forgive them. Okay. And once a year, he would whoo, pass through the curtain and hope that he had done his job well enough. Because if he didn't, he was dead. So if he didn't do it all just perfect, he'd walk through that curtain, take, well, I don't know, you know, take a breath, and he'd enter in, and he'd disappear. And behind that, he would experience the presence of God, and he would place the blood upon that mercy seat. And that mercy seat, it represented, uh, that in that box, represented the presence of God. And on that mercy seat, uh, the top was the lid, and the lid was called the mercy seat, and he would put the blood on the mercy seat. And there, God would, the presence of God would come into that place and dwell, and he would know that the presence of God showed up, that people are forgiven. We've got one more year to live. That is the law. That is where we stand and stood today before Jesus Christ came. And what happens, though, is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11, it said that every priest would stand ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, but they could never take away the sin of the people. It was a temporary appeasement. And the law they taught was powerless to change the heart because why? Sinful men could not make perfect my sin and atone for me. A sinful man could not go to bat for me. A sinful person could not be the one to take my case before God and get true justice and find grace and mercy and help in a time of need. So, and then not only that, but every so many generations that priest would die and he had to be replaced by another priest. Even he wasn't good enough to make it last. There was only a copy and shadow, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8, of something and someone to come. Now here we are, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1. Now you have to understand all that and get all that and I encourage you, there's some great uh, videos online called The Bible Project. Uh, there's a, uh, we've put it on our Facebook page for you to have access to it. We encourage you to look at that and, and kind of get a bigger picture of this. But look with me in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God. So men chose other sinful men. And they were to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. In verse 2, he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness. So the high priest knew he was entering God's presence as a sinner and he was no better than anybody else. And so he too needed salvation. And because of this, he was obligated to offer the sacrifice for sins as for the people and himself. And no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he was called by God as Aaron was. So the high priest didn't elect himself, but God chose him. Now here we go. Verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself as to become a high priest, but he who said it to him, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And he says it in another passage, today you are a priest forever according to the line or the order of Melchizedek. 
In verse 7, in the days of his flesh, he, Jesus, offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety, his holiness. And although he became, uh, he was a son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. That means he took on a man. And having been made perfect, our perfect high priest, he became to all those who obey him the eternal source of salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. What I want you to know today is that the priest became the focal point of Judaism. People clung to the priest because there was a man. Let me tell you, if, if this guy is going to bat for you not to die, you're going to cling to him. You're going to look up to him. You're going to think, I hope he does his job right. Somebody say amen. amen. You're there. Lord, help us. If he don't do, He's the only one chosen by God to be able to do this job. And if he doesn't do his job right, we're all dead meat. We're all gun. God, God's wrath's going to come down and kill us all. We're going to go to hell for eternity. If this guy, who's an imperfect guy, Lord, help him. We're praying for him. We're looking up to him. And we're following his every word and saying, we want to do our part. I hope he does his part. And they looked up to him. They clung to him. And they've never, none of the people ever enjoyed direct communication or communion with God, but the priest. He was their sole mediator. And he was the only one who could intercede for them. And that was the only hope, their only hope was placed in the high priest. And God sent us somebody better. Now look at this. We're going to get deep this morning because we're going to talk about why Christ had to be divine and why he had to be human. Just that simple. And what does that mean for you today? Number one, Christ's divinity. Look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 6. He says, You are a priest forever according to the order of the line of Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek and how in the world do you spell that name? Right? Uh, somebody's mom made a bad error. You know, I'm going to name my kid Melchizedek. What? You know, Melchizedek, what does it mean? The word Melchizedek means righteous king. We don't know much about him. We only know him from Genesis uh, and the story where Abraham goes out into victory, Abraham being the father of faith, goes out in victory and fights the enemy and comes back. But he doesn't want to get the honor himself, so he gives in worship a tie, the tenth, to the guy Melchizedek. They, all we know is that he was the king of Salem. Salem means peace uh, from that shalom. Salem means peace. But Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So here we have a king of righteousness and peace. That's what his name means. The king of righteousness over the king of, pe- kings, uh, the king of peace. So he pastors, he kings the peace, and his name is king of righteousness. That's the only story we know him. And he has no birth record, no death record, no descendants. In a way, he's very, very mysterious. And he was not from the tribe of Levi. He's not from these people after Moses. This is way before Moses. So who's this guy? How did he become a priest of the Most High God if he never... He wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't a Hebrew. Who was he? We don't know. God set this guy in advance to teach you and I something today about who Jesus Christ is and will always be. So he says, this king of righteousness and peace, why does the author of Hebrews use him? I'll give you three things and three reasons. Number one, righteousness. Aaron was ordained by God, so Christ now becomes our perfect high priest because he too was ordained by God. Jesus comes not just as a, not as a sinful man, but as the righteous one, it says. He becomes the eternal son of God, righteous, holy, without sin the creator and sustainer of all things. So the author of Hebrews says, this guy was like Abraham, the guy who had faith, 
the guy who believed God and had faith in God, trusted a guy whose name was righteous. And so you today can trust a guy whose name is Holy One Righteous, Jesus Christ. And so he says, so he, like Christ, they were called righteous, Hebrews 5, 5. And he says, you are my son, today I've begotten you. So Jesus comes and he steps down, not as a, necessarily just a man, but he steps down as the righteous son of God. Number two, he comes in and he says, this guy's name is a king priest. Melchizedek, he wasn't just a king, he was also a priest. Never before had this been done. In the history of Israel, you'd find kings who tried to go into the holy place and leprosy would break out on them and people would die and bad things would happen if the king, only the priest, could go into the throne. Not a king. But here's Melchizedek. He's both king and both priest. He says the same way. Jesus came to this earth. He was king and priest. He was a king and a priest. A unique thing. Something mysterious is going on here. What's going on? Christ not also. Christ wasn't born of Levi. But he was born of the tribe of Judah. Who's the father of the tribe of Judah? David. Jesus comes of the line of days that Jesus is born as a king. When he's born on this earth, he's born as both priest and king. And so what is this saying to us? Number one, he's righteous. Number two, he's king priest. Number three, he's eternal. Melchizedek didn't have any descendants. He didn't transmit to anybody. His legacy just stands there in timelessness. And the same is true, verse, chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus has become such not on the basis of the law or physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life is Jesus our high priest. So what is he saying here today? God is showing us something, that God had something ordained from the beginning, that God wanted you to know that when you couldn't get any closer to God, God was willing to get closer to you. And when we couldn't try to save ourselves, God was going to send us this great divine king priest who is righteous and eternal. And he was going to come and make intercession for you and I. When we needed a holy person to stand before the presence of God and make amends for us and who could come and lead us in victory, but also in holiness and lead us in the presence of God. He last, he, and a priest that would never die. Well, all of our priests before would die and we'd have to get a new one and hope he was holy enough and hope he was good enough because sometimes, let me be honest, Israel had a lot of bad high priests. Think about Eli who died. He was uh, corrupt. His sons were corrupt and the legacy of the high priesthood broke. And then there, what hope was there? God says, I'm going to give you someone who will never let you down. He's always going to intercede for you and he's always going to be perfect for you and you never have to doubt his work again. You don't have to doubt if Jesus is good enough. You don't have to doubt if what he did on the cross was perfect enough. I'm giving you someone who's going to be all sufficiently everything you could ever need to get close to me. Is that not good news? That's good news today. So look in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24. I think we have it on the screen. It meant that in this moment when Christ up on the earth, there was a change. Something new had happened. Verse 24. But Jesus, uh, chapter 7, but Jesus, on the other hand, he continues forever. He holds his priesthood permanently. That's shouting ground for me right there. He continues forever. He stands before God for me permanently. He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since he always, get that, he always lives to make intercession for them. Man, that's some good preaching right there. Jesus is living forever to get you closer to God. How about we take advantage of it? Amen? He stood in the gap for us. And He always 
lives. He never dies. It never fades what he did on the cross, what he come to do for us. And he's always interceding for you. Verse 26, it was fitting for us to have a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And he doesn't need daily like those other high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins, but yet for the sins of the people. And he did this not every day, not every week, not every month. Now, does he have to do it once a year? He did it once and for all. It was done. When he said, it is finished, that's what he meant. This doesn't have to be done every day, every week, and every month, and every hour. And not only do you have to try and try and try to get closer to God. When I said it's finished, he said, come on in. Let's get close to God today. Let's draw near to his presence again today. And so he says, for the law appoints high priests who are weak, but the word, the oath of God. My, uh, man, mm, I'm going to stop right. The oath of God, which came after the law, appointed a son and made it perfect forever. You can take God's word to the bank. And when he said, I'm sending you the very best I got in heaven. And I'm sending you another high priest. It's not going to be another David. It's not going to be another Elijah. It's not going to be another Moses. I'm sending you my very son, and he's going to be your guarantee. Isn't that awesome today? You have a guarantee. How do you know you're saved? Jesus saves me. That's how I know I'm saved. Jesus came. He was my guarantee. And while other people trust in a Buddha and a Muhammad and a Hare Krishna or whatever else you trust in today, I'm trusting in Jesus because he's my guarantee. He, God shows me from the beginning that he illustrated it through all of this tabernacle. Why did they pick a curtain and a gold and, a, and a, all this stuff? He wanted to show us, I'm planning something in advance for you. I want to prove to you I've been working on this from the very beginning. I'm going to show you there's validity to what my son is going to say to you. That Old Testament stuff, that's not just for nothing. It's showing you that God had a plan from the beginning to give you his very best. Christ's divinity. Let's talk about Christ's humanity. So he had to be God to stand in the gap for us. But he also had to be human. Why? Why? Christ, the righteous, eternal king-priest, that's who he is in his divinity, righteous, eternal, and a king-priest. He had a weakness. Our weakness. The only weakness Jesus had was he was like us. He was human. Think about it. He stood before God human. Why? In order to be the perfect high priest for us, he had to become perfectly human. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Three things real quick I'm going to give you of why he had to be human. Why did Jesus have to be human? Chapter 2, verse 17 says this. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren. That's us who wanted great, us, the people who wanted God to forgive us. He had to be made like us so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation. That's the atonement, a substitution for the sins of the people. For he himself was tempted in all that was, uh, that which he had suffered. He is able now to come to the aid of those who are tempted. See, the high priest was commanded in the Old Testament to be like the people, to understand you are a sinner too. You have to have empathy. You have to have empathy with these people to be able to perfectly intercede. How many people want some self-righteous person praying for you? Right? 
When you want a person who understands where you are, you want to, you're going through something in your life, you're going through a divorce, or you're going through sickness or in your body, you're going through teenage, your teenagers are rebellion, you want a person who's going to kind of get down, on the, down there with you and, yes, God, I'm praying with some passion, I'm praying with some, some fire for this person, I'm praying with love for them and sympathy for them. You don't want a person who's over there going like, yeah, God, you help their needs, okay, thank you, I've got to go with something else. Right? Anybody? We, we, pray, we want somebody praying for us that's kind of been where we've been. Knows what we're going through. Feels our pain. And so what does God do to Jesus to help him understand us? Get this. He was despised and rejected of man. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him and we esteemed him not, Isaiah 53 says. His dad put him through the ringer so he could know what you go through every day. Think about that. His dad, the father, wanted him to be able to empathize with you. And so, number one, he made him suffer. Jesus suffered, not because he had to, but because he wanted to know you. And he wanted to be better able to pray for you. He suffered, and he took on our nature, our poverty, our persecution, our pain. He took on our love and our loss, our joy and our sorrow, our peace and our fear, one author says. He was tempted by Satan, struck by his enemies, forsaken by his friends, and yet he never sinned. But he suffered for you. This perfect high priest was willing to suffer for you. God did not send us some self-righteous person to stand in the gap for us. He didn't call some self-righteous pastor. He thought he was all together. He called the Son of God to suffer for you. Not only did he suffer, but the Bible says he supplicated. It means he prayed. He, inter- he interceded. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, In the days of his flesh he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cryings and tears to the one to be able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. What did Jesus say repeatedly? The Bible says repeatedly on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Over and over again as they pierced him, as they beat him, as they nailed him to a cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, they don't understand. They don't get it. Sin is blinding. Sin makes you do crazy things you don't understand. And the pain of this world comes over us. A blinding sin. And so he sympathized with us. He suffered He supplicated and he sympathized. My God. And what did God do? He said, that's my boy. So I'm going to put him at the right hand of the Father, sitting on the place of majesty in heaven. And therefore today, chapter 4, verse 15 says, We don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Jesus became the perfect person to get you closer to God. He became the perfect high priest. Let me tell you this today. No other religion tells of a God who's loved people so. No other religion tells of a God who became both God and man, not just because He could, but because He wanted to know you, to intercede, to come before the veil, to go to that temple and then sacrifice Himself and to make Himself pure and holy and go up to the presence of God and make a constant intercession for us for all time to burn that incense that his life became a sweet smelling aroma to go into the presence of God and what does the Bible say Jesus did too they tore the veil 
And that we can now both boldly go before the throne of grace to find our help in a present time of need. Jesus became our eternal, righteous King of peace who suffered, sympathized, and supplicated for us. Our eternal, righteous King of peace suffered and sympathized and He interceded for us, for you. You say, Pastor, why in the world does this even matter? Why is this, what, what is this all, the veil, the, the incense, and I don't even get it. Why does this even matter that Jesus had to be both man and God? Why did it matter that He had to be our righteous King priest? And why does it matter that He suffered? It only matters for the person who's hungry for God. Why does it matter? It only matters for the person who is hungry for God. You see, Israel in their knowledge of sin knew they needed access to God's forgiveness. If you don't get that, you won't get the rest. You're not knowing that your need and desperation of salvation, you don't know you need a desperation for Jesus. Israel had to see they were helpless and hopeless without this blood covering their life. They were exposed to the wrath of God. They needed a perfect high priest to intercede once and for all for them. And Jesus became it. Man, that's good right there. They needed a perfect high priest because they were a perfect, imperfect people. It only matters today if you recognize how much you need Jesus. To know and remind ourselves that our goodness is not enough to make heaven. I don't care how good you think you are, what good things you've done, where you come from. You never cussed, drank, smoked, had sex. I don't care. It doesn't matter what you've done. Your goodness is not enough. Specifically and more bluntly, the Bible says in Isaiah that our, our goodness is as uh, filthy rags. Use menstrual garments is a literal translation. We are as dirt, as nothing before God. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. Our only hope to get closer to God today, our only hope to get forgiveness today is Jesus Christ. And you know what that means for us that are struggling today with sin? The devil wants to make you feel like you're alone, like you're isolated. You can't get to the presence of God. There's no access for you. Can I trust this Jesus? Is God happy with me? Does God love me? Does God uh, want me? Is there any future for my life? Can I ever escape the consequences of what I've done? Can I ever find peace like I'm longing for peace? Can I ever find true love like I'm longing for true love? Can I ever find a place to belong, an identity, something to become in my life that's worth something, that's meaningful? Yes, you can Because Jesus came as the perfect high priest for you. He is constantly interceding for you. The good news today is that we have a high priest on the throne in glory. Today you can have constant access to God's forgiveness. Today you can have eternal hope today. I'm going to leave you with these three things. Why does this matter? How do you know if I'm really forgiven? Why did you just have to be both God and man why did he have to be a high priest? And why does that, any of that even matter, Pastor Heath? Number one, it matters because, number one, today I have confidence. I have confidence today that I can trust Jesus' work is good. It's good work that he did on the cross for me. His life, his death, and his resurrection shows me I've got a guarantee. That it's proof today that God's redemptive plan has been completed that God in His foreknowledge over many different authors and many different thousands of years and many different books, it all writes a one beautiful, perfect plan, and it's all get accomplished in one man and one God, Jesus Christ. It shows me I have confidence today that I can, if Abraham, the father of faith, 
Get this. If Abraham, the father of faith, the guy who had faith in God, simple childlike faith, he had faith in God, he trusted a righteous king priest who is the king of peace. It illustrates to me that I too can trust Jesus Christ. If Abraham trusted some guy, he didn't know where he, who he was, or where he came from, what he was going, he just knew his name was righteous king of peace and that God had appointed him to serve. I don't need any more proof that Jesus Christ is my righteous king of peace. And God has appointed him to serve me, and I can just give my worship to him. And if I want victory, Abraham said, I want victory in my life. I want to give God the glory. He said, then give this king something. Because he's going to stand in, and that king blessed Abraham, and blessing came upon his life. I want to be blessed. I want to walk in the blessing of God. I'm going to give over all my works and all my strife and all the things I've been trying to do in my life. I say, God, you've appointed this righteous king of peace who I don't understand it all. I don't get it all. How did he come? He came of a, uh, didn't have a dad. He was born of a virgin. He didn't really die. He rose from the... I'm giving all my worship to him, and he makes constant intercession for me. That gives me confidence today that God's plan is perfect, completed, done. And Hebrews 4, 16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence... Confidence to the throne of grace. That's meaning the mercy seat. Let's draw near with confidence to the mercy seat. That means you can go behind the veil today. You can go past the place. We've seen that song, Take Me Past the Outer Courts and to the Holy Place. Past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. That's what that means. Because of Jesus, I get access to mercy and grace today. I don't have to worry about eternal damnation any longer. I trust Christ. Amen? Amen. So, uh, number one, I got confidence today. That's why it matters to me that I, we talk about this. Number two, why it matters to me is I get peace with God. I got that hope that I can draw near. Christ secures my peace. He's the king of peace. He broke down the dividing wall, tore the veil in his flesh. Everything is gone. Separation from the law is no, uh, from God by the law is no more. That he fulfills it. I have peace with God. Number two, it matters to me today that Christ is my high priest because I can have constant access. Those priests, it says that they would take that incense and every day, multiple times a day, they would let that sweet-selling aroma go up before God's presence and they would minister continually before God, offering intercession, offering atonement, offering plea. God, help us. We're imperfect. Help us, God, that we don't have it all together. Help us, God. We need you to forgive us and Bless us again. Every day, all day, that sweet smelling aroma says that Jesus Christ becomes that for us. And that I have constant access to the mercy of God that I know that up in heaven today, Jesus is saying to God, God, just, just be patient with Heath. He don't have it all together. That's okay. I'm working on him. Just be patient. Just, just hold on. Bless him, God. I'm interceding for him. They don't have it all yet. They don't get it all. They're still working, God. They're human. Just remember, I became human like them too, God. I kind of understand. I know what they're going through. I felt pain before. I lost my dad. I, I, I was never married. I, I was beaten and abused, and my friends left me, and people backstabbed me, and I was poor. I never had a home. I, I know what it's like, God, to feel lonely at night. God, he's there before the throne for you today. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what pain you have, what, what loss, what sorrow, what regret, Jesus Christ is continually interceding for you today. For you to have the presence of God in your life. So what that means for me today is just that, God, I, I want to take advantage of the presence of God in my life. He who's paid so great a price for me. 
how I can come and go out of the presence of God so easily today, how I can so easily neglect my prayer time and so easily neglect my word and so easily move into a service and out of a service like I never encountered the joy of the Lord. But Jesus Christ is always interceding for you. And it's not a guilt thing. It's a joyful thing. Say, God, let's just draw near. Let's just draw near with confidence that Jesus Christ did everything needed for me to get access to God any day, any time, any hour. That's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians. We can pray without ceasing. You could never do that before. Today, you can pray without ceasing. God, I'm trying to get through this day. Somebody just cut me off. You got constant access to the presence of God. You got constant access, constant intercession. And so like a good priest, I want you to do this today. This is my challenge in the altars. Israel never took their eyes off the high priest. He was their focal point because he was their only hope at getting access to God. Today, Jesus Christ is your only hope at getting access to God. Amen. Amen. Worship team, would you come? Every head bowed, every eye closed today.